Let's turn our Bibles to John chapter 6, verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now, the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes, then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough food or bread for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would anoint me with your power to preach your word, that your spirit would reach the spirit of every person here. Father, that this would be the moment that you would speak to, change, equip, encourage your people. Mold us by your word, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The United States Constitution and the United States Declaration of Independence were adopted on the Second Continental Congress on July the 4th, 1776. The text of the second section of the Declaration of Independence reads thusly. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This morning, God wants to speak to you and to me about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And what he says to us is what you have in your notes as the propositional statement, as the thematic statement of this passage, and it is this. Pursue Jesus by faith and receive life. Pursue Jesus by faith and receive life. In this passage, in John chapter 6, 
He tells us that only by pursuing Jesus in humble faith can we experience life. And I mean true life, eternal life, liberty, true freedom to serve God, and happiness, true happiness in God's presence is true happiness. And his question to you and to me is this. What do you pursue for life? Where do you go when you're looking for happiness? That's his question. And what he wants to tell you is, pursue Jesus by faith to receive his life. Because you know what? Everything else that you and I pursue for life will lead us to death apart from Christ. Everything else. Everything else. Yes, our Declaration of Independence says that we should be free to pursue life, liberty, and happiness. Jesus' Declaration of Independence, which occurred on the cross, signed by his blood, says the only thing that will deliver what you so want, life, eternal life, liberty to be free from maybe things that no one else knows about, you know about, that have you in bondage, and happiness. We all want to be happy. The only way to receive those things is in Jesus, is to pursue Jesus. And so what God does in this passage here, in John chapter 6, is he gives us a wonderful gift. He gives us this wonderful story about feeding people in a miraculous way. And and the point of this story is this. Only by pursuing Jesus in faith can we receive life. That's the point of the story. And the reason it's so important is because all of us pursue other things for life. All of us do. That's the definition of idolatry. The definition of idolatry is this. Pursuing something or someone for the very life that only Jesus can give you. For the very liberty that only Jesus can give you. For the very happiness that only Jesus can give you. Some of us, we pursue life in the check that we earn every month and all that it can provide for us. Some of us pursue life in a romantic relationship. If we just had this, we would have life. Others of us pursue life in a computer screen and its enticing images and think, this is life. This is happiness. Some of us pursue life in our family. Some, maybe in our involvement in this church. Good things. Good things that can never deliver what only Jesus can deliver. And that's life. A famous theologian once said, our idols, our idols are not necessarily bad things. Our idols are good things that we want too much. Our idols are the things that we look to to give us life 
that only Jesus can give us. And so in this passage, God grabs our attention and he says, listen to me. Listen to me. I am going to expose for you your idolatrous heart so that you would stop pursuing the things that really won't give you life, that you think will give you life, that are just giving you death, so that you can pursue me, the only one that can give you life, true liberty, true happiness. I'm going to serve you that way. And let me tell you how important this passage is. I'll get a little closer to you, okay, in case you miss it. <laughs> this passage is so important that other, other than the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it is the only narrative that is found in all four Gospels. It's the only one. It's the only sign. It's in all four. What God is saying is, I love you so much that I want to address your heart that wanders so easily to look for life, true eternal life, in things other than me, because that's idolatry. And you're my people. And so I want to bring you to me. Okay? So this is an exciting passage. And as we look at this exciting passage, we see this theme of faith right at the very beginning. Take a look with me at verse 4. It jumps right out at us, doesn't it? In verse 4 of John 6, now the Passover, which is the Jewish 4th of July, oh yeah, that's the day that they celebrate independence from Egypt through the Declaration of Independence of the Passover meal signed by the blood of the lamb, the Passover lamb. That's their 4th of July. If you're a Jew, man, you're very nationalistic. You're very pro-Israel on Passover. That is like the day. That's like our 4th of July, okay? Put the hang the flags out. This was a big day for them. So on the Passover, the feast of the Jews was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? Faith point number one. Philip, will you pursue me by faith for life? Now, in this case, says, Philip, where are we going to get the bread to feed these people? And what does Philip say? He stops for a moment. He's like some of you. Maybe he was an accountant. He starts doing some quick addition. What does the scripture say that he then utters out of his mouth? Philip said, verse 7, 200 denarii would not buy enough food for each of them to get a little. 200 denarii is two-thirds of an annual salary. A denarii is one day's labor back then. So you get 200 days of whatever you earn per day. That much money would only give these people a small snack. What did Philip fail to do at that point? He failed to pursue Jesus by faith. He was pursuing a solution outside of Christ. By the way, Philip was a hometown boy. He lived right near where this was going on. That's why Jesus asked him, say, Hey, Philip, is there a local Publix where we can buy food for these people? Philip goes, Two-thirds annual of my wage would not feed these people. Did not pursue Jesus by faith. Okay, let's take a look at the next individual here. Andrew. Andrew. Pipes in, verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, Hey, there's a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, and what are, but what are they for so many? 
But what are they for so many? Five barley loaves. A barley loaf was the worst type of bread that normally only poor people ate back then. And the two fish? The two fish were probably pickled small portions. So Andrew basically says, Hey Lord, this little kid here has five loaves of day-old bread from the thrift store that's moldy and two cans of sardines. But now that I think about it, Lord, what is that for so many? So did Simon Andrew pursue Jesus by faith? Now, he's trying, bless his heart. He's going, hey, Philip blew it, but you, come over here. How about this? And then as he's doing it, they're all going, And then he goes, but I guess that's not much. No faith. By the way, have you ever found yourself in that position? (laughs) Lord, how are we going to do this one? And when you do, please understand that what you're doing is looking to yourself or whatever else you're looking to for life. And the Lord gently wants to correct you. Draw your attention up to himself. And that's what goes on right now. Oh, it gets exciting here. Look what happens. Jesus, God, responds. Verse 10. And Jesus said, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Now I'm not reading from the scripture here, but from a good commentary. 5,000 men, including the women and children with those men, probably equaled 20,000 people. Do you understand now why Philip said, what? And Andrew said, what's this among so many? Do you understand? It was a difficult situation. But Jesus knew what he was going to do. Jesus then took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. So also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So here's what God does. He says, if you will pursue me by faith, I will then supply from myself. And when I supply from myself, not only did I supply enough beyond a little snack for 20,000 people. I mean, remember Philip said, two-thirds of an annual wage will provide a snack for 20,000 people. Jesus provides a meal, so much food, that there are 12 baskets left over. So when you look to God in faith, For the supply, he supplies more for you than you had at the beginning of your crisis or situation. Check it out. I mean, the little boy went home with his two cans of sardines, but 12 baskets of bread. And I suspect that somehow between Jesus' prayer and the time people ate, the day-old moldy thrift store bread became, you know, organic foods, you know, $14 a loaf foo-foo bread, okay? They just say foo-foo bread, organic, natural bread, and they charge you five times more, okay? Because it's healthy for you. What do we know? What do we know from the scripture? The people were satisfied. Only Jesus will satisfy you. And all the other junk that you're pursuing right now to satisfy you, all the other stuff you think you've got to have to be really satisfied, it will let you down. Trust me, the, the world will take your two cans of sardines and your five loaves of moldy bread. 
they will use it, charge you a fee for it, and you'll leave broke with less than you had when you started. That's, that's true relationally. That's true in every way. But God, God will give you more than what you had when you began. Oh, pursue the Lord by faith, dear friends. Pursue the Lord by faith for the life that only He can give. That's the point here. That's the main point. And this point really, really begins to gain momentum. It begins to, it begins to launch itself upon us with, with a ferocity that the text handles with a very, very unusual set of circumstances. Here's the first thing that happens. The Jews, remember it's their 4th of July. Remember that, it's Passover. Who would be the Jews' George Washington? Who would be the Jews' Thomas Jefferson? Who would be the Jews' hero that led them to victory? Moses, absolutely. Now, we're not Jews, so I need to give you this background. I need to explain to you why they wanted to, that why, did they, why they said this is the prophet, verse 14, that was prophesied. You can put verse 14 up there. This is the prophet that was prophesied, and this is why they wanted to make him king. Because, see, Moses was their George Washington. And Moses, 1,500 years earlier, wrote in the book of Deuteronomy 18, he said, there's going to be a prophet who comes who's greater than me, who's going to lead you to true victory and freedom. Listen to him. So they go, this is the prophet. And since it was the 4th of July, and they were presently not free, they were under the bondage of Rome, 20,000 people said, 5,000 men, be our king. We will follow you into warfare, and we'll defeat the Romans and set you up as king. So what were they doing? They were failing to pursue him by faith. Because what they failed to see was what Jesus knew, and that's this. He knew that his kingdom would not triumph through open warfare against the Romans then, but that his kingdom would triumph by dying and raising from the dead, that he would go into Jerusalem not wielding a spear to bring judgment on the Romans. No, 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 no. He would go into Jerusalem receiving the spear and its thrust into his side, taking the judgment of God for you and me. And therefore, inaugurating an independence far greater than that they were seeking from the Roman oppressor. But an independence from the sin that was killing them from within. An independence from the judgment of God they so richly deserved. That was the truth. But you had to have faith to see it. They didn't have faith. All they could see was what their eyes could see. They did not see the hidden spiritual kingdom of God. Do you? Why are you here this morning? You see, see, they were following Jesus for what he could give them. Skip down to verse 26. You have your Bibles open? If not, we should display it here. Verse 26. Why were they seeking Jesus? Look what Jesus says, verse 26. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that that endures to eternal life, 
which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him, God the Father has set His seal. Folks, what the crowds hankered for, what we hanker for, is a miracle worker who would fill our stomachs with bread, fill our hearts with romance, fill our eyes with images that entice, fill our pocketbooks with money, fill whatever we want, what we're looking to for life other than Jesus. But Jesus won't play our game. He did not even answer their question. Look again. They say, hey, why did, you know, why did, how did you get here? And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father had set his seal. They weren't asking that question. They were wanting to know, how did you do this? How did you walk on the water, Jesus? Which he did right after this this miracle. How did you feed 5,000 men, 20,000 people, Jesus? We want this, Jesus. Fill our mouths, fill our hearts, fill our pocketbooks. Give me, miracle worker, what I want. He says, nope. I love you too much for that. You need to come to me. Oh, and they did not like it. (laughs) They did not like it. They did not like it. In verse 28, they start arguing with him. They said, well, what must we do then to be doing the works of God? Because in verse 70 and 27, 26 and 27, he's basically saying, don't work or labor for food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And they knew he was talking about himself. And this Son of Man whom the Father has sent, and they were really not happy about that. So they kind of mockingly said, hey, what works do we do? Here's where the crowds got it wrong yet again. Because what they were saying is this. You know what, Jesus? I don't need to pursue you by faith. Tell me what to do. And by implication, they're saying, I can fulfill God's requirements. This is the ultimate, arrogant, idolatrous, rebellious heart of man, of you and of me. Lord, I'm going to fix it. I'll use you to fix it, but I'll fix it. I can get it done. Especially, especially in the American culture. We have a culture, a can-do, rugged individualism. I can get this done, Lord. And God, God says the following. It's in your notes. Verse 29 of John. Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. Jesus responded to them, to their hearts. And he says this, the work of God is to believe in me. You can't fulfill God's requirements. I will fulfill God's requirements and then I will go die on a cross for you to pay for the sin because you couldn't fulfill God's requirements. So you can't make this happen. Just like Philip couldn't figure out where to find enough bread to feed 20,000 people. Just like Andrew's little, you know, two sardine cans and five moldy loaves couldn't feed those people. You can't do it. I'm the one that walked on the water, not you. I'm the one that made that bread go to 20,000 people, not you. But they still didn't get it. And often we don't get it. And we're still trying to use Jesus instead of simply trusting Jesus. Oh, friends, point number one, the work of God is to believe in Jesus. 
God the Father wants you to pursue Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of Man, who alone can give you life. So here's my question. Here's my question. Question for application number one. Not on your back page. (laughs) So sorry. I appreciate you guys. You listen so attentively. It's It's a joy to preach. Just look at me for a second. From the youngest to the oldest, be honest now. What are you pursuing to get what you want? That's another way of saying life. Let me give you an illustration. Last week, on my day off, my DVD broke. Not only did it break, but it began to mock me. Because the way it broke is the little, you press the button, it says open and close, and the little door just kept opening and closing. <laughs> it wouldn't play the DVDs, and, and, it, and I, I would, it would open, okay, okay, kids, we're not going to watch this, so I pulled the DVD out, I hit close, I turned around, and it mocked me, mocked me. Then I got in the, this little truck that I just bought, I turned the radio on, the radio was on, but no sound was coming in, no sound. Now, this is a small illustration, but you know, if you get it in the small illustrations, you'll get it in the big ones. I was mad. It's Monday, you know. The, the previous Sunday was a glorious day, but it was a day filled from, with many meetings. And the previous night, I had been up to very late doing teachings. And Monday, I, ah, I want to sit back Monday. It was Memorial Day. We traditionally watch as many violent war movies as we can, <laughs> glorifying God for men who died for their country. Put the DVD in, boom, doesn't work. I got mad and discouraged. Why? Because in a small way, I was looking for life in the relaxation of that DVD. Is it wrong to relax with a good DVD? No. But it's wrong to invest that with what only Jesus can give me. So instead of getting mad, and I really got mad about the radio. Because as I told you last week, I love sports talk radio. Okay? So my favorite program is on. My son and I got in the car. We're going to go play tennis. And I turn it on nothing. But you know what? You know what God just gave me the grace to do? Honestly. I said, you know, Lord, my life's in you. I would like these things, but it doesn't, my life doesn't depend on this. I trust you. And I left. Two things happened. When we got in the truck, I just started laughing. I said, Joe, this isn't our day. He said, no. I said, let's, do, let's pray. I said, I said, you know, the Lord's probably just wanting to get my heart to trust him. But let's just pray. I, I believe I trust him. I was peaceful. Trust me. In the past, I'd be getting mad, yelling, screaming, throwing things, throwing kids, throwing DVDs, you know. <clears throat> I said, Peace. So I said, you know, son, let's just pray that God would heal this thing. And he's laughing, okay. Lord, thank you for this day. More than anything, I want to thank you for that I can play tennis with my son and we're healthy and strong. And in Jesus' name, amen. I said, all right, Joe, let's do something. You hit that side of the, 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 the dashboard and I'll hit this side. Let's see what happens. When we hit the two sides, the radio came on. I mean, we have a memory forever. I said, all right, Joe, I don't know if that was God or not, but that was really cool, okay? And then I came home in the afternoon. I don't know what happened. I mean, eventually I had to pull the plug on the DVD, okay? I mean, it was like possessed by a demon, you know? <laughs> I plugged it back in, and guess what? It worked. All right, 
If the radio had never come back on or the DVD hadn't worked, that's not the point. What's the point? What do you look for in this life that if you don't get, you get depressed, angry, where is God, I'm mad at God, how could this happen to me? And for many of us, it's things far more important than a DVD working and a radio playing. But it's the same issue. If you can win the battle in the small issue, do you hear where I'm going with this? God will give you victory in the big issue. Do you pursue Jesus by faith, even though your eyes can't see it, for only the life that he can give, and stop looking to other things to give you that life that only he can give you? Do you? Okay, that's the question from point one. Point two, what does this life look like? In your notes, it says receive Jesus' life. Well, let's, let's follow this intense dialogue right now. Let's, let's jump over to John chapter 6, and let's go to verse 30. Let's go to verse 30. The, the Jews are very mad at Jesus because they know what he's saying. And this is what they say. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now, what's going on here? Because you're not a Jew, I need to explain something to you. The reason the Jews brought up the manna, there's two reasons for that. Number one, Scripture tells us that they were in a synagogue in Capernaum. If you have your Bible open, just jump down to verse 59. It's like the final sort of cap to this uh, message, and it says all this occurred in Capernaum in the synagogue. You see that? Okay, so back up to verse 30. So they're having this dialogue in a synagogue. And it's, it, it could be, many scholars and theologians will tell you, that it very well could be that the scripture they just read during the synagogue service was out of Exodus 16, which is the passage that talks about God giving manna to Israel in the desert. Now, what had Jesus just done? The day before, he'd given bread, maybe not manna, to Israel, 20,000 of them, not in a desert, but on a remote mountain, and it was miraculous. Plus, remember, it was 4th of July, so they're already a buzz about this prophet that Moses said was going to come, Deuteronomy 18. They want him to kick Rome right out and launch a revolutionary war, and we'll follow you. So that's why, being mad at him, they say, Who do you think you are, Jesus? Moses gave us manna in the wilderness. What sign do you do? What did they miss? (laughs) They missed the fact that he fed them the day before with two cans of sardines and five moldy loaves from a thrift store. But don't we miss that? He does a miracle. He saves us. And the next week we're crying the blues because our DVD doesn't work. Or, and this is serious, because we encounter maybe a physical ailment or an accident or we lose our job or we want to get pregnant as a couple and can't get pregnant or we have a child that just not only doesn't love God but seems to hate God and we appeal to them with tears and they're like blank. Or our mother dies. We spend a month in hell, but trust God. 
One of our members just had that happen to her back home. And, and we question him. We forget the miracle because we're mad. We don't have faith. So that's what they're asking him. But what does Jesus say to them in verse 32? Then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it wasn't Moses, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world, and I'm that bread. You know what Jesus did? He stood up in the sanctuary in the synagogue and he says, What you just heard in Exodus, I fulfill. Moses and the manna 1,500 years ago point to Jesus, the Son of God. Not the prophet you think he is, but the God that he is. And they didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. They didn't believe him. Look at verse 34. Look at verse 34. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Uh, There's a bit of sarcasm there. Oh, like, yeah. Like, okay, Jesus, like, give us the bread always. And look what Jesus says to them in 35. It's in your notes. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In this verse, Jesus intensifies the dialogue. And he says, listen, I'm this bread. I'm this bread. And then in verse 36, he says, but you don't believe me. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. Oh, friends, how many of you see Jesus and yet don't believe? I do all the time. All the time. Every time I get mad, sad, depressed, hopeless, complain, grumble. Oh, friends, that is looking at Jesus and not seeing who he is and not believing him. But he's so kind, isn't he? Look at verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Let's read on. Look at verse 38. Amazing passages. For I came, come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. And here we have now the second point. The first point is believe, pursue Jesus by faith, and then receive his life. Look what he came to do. Look what God's will is, my friend. Verse 39, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. That last day is the day of judgment. The raising up is eternal life, resurrection from the dead. Look at verse 40. And this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes on Him, if you're here this morning, if you look on the Son and believe on Him, here's the promise of the Lord, should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Jesus repeats the same thing twice. It's very important. Pay attention to that. You know why? Because we tend to slide from that truth that we will have life and that he'll raise us up on the last day. Do you believe that Jesus will raise you up on the last day? Do you fear death? Do you fear poverty? Do you feel destruction and war? Do you fear, you know, when you read in the paper that North Korea is launching nukes and it's going to be a dark day, says our Secretary of Defense. You know, when the Secretary of Defense says that a dark day is coming, that gets my attention, you know? I mean, because, like, I'm assuming he's got information I don't have. So what's your gut level? The stock market crashes. I lost my job. I think what Jesus is saying, don't be like these people who just pursued me so I could fill their belly, 
but pursue me because I promise to give you life and resurrect you on that judgment day. That's your biggest concern, or should be. And nothing or no one can give you that but me. Verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes on Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled. You see that? They grumbled. Verse 41, that means they didn't believe. Grumbling and unbelief, synonymous. They grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? See, they said, Jesus, how can you be the one who came down from heaven? We know you. We know your dad. We know your mom. You grew up in Galilee. But they didn't know his dad. Not his heavenly father. Why? Verse 43 tells us why. Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Third time now that Jesus says, I'm going to raise you up on the last day. Circle that in your Bibles. Talk about that this Wednesday night in home group. That's a key. That's a key. So what is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, You guys fail to understand that no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. In a sense, what Jesus is saying here, here's what he's saying. Can we work for what is given to us? Remember point one, if you look in your notes. What is is the work of God? What does it say there? To believe in Jesus. You see that? Okay. Can you do the work of God... To work for something that is given to you. Stay with me. Verse 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father draws me. So how can you tell me to come to you, Jesus, if no one can come to you unless the Father draws me? Jesus says, Because my will and the Father's will is that you would pursue me and receive my life. So the answer is, Yes, we can work for what God provides us, By his sovereign grace. In fact, God commands us to pursue the very son to whom he draws us. It is God who draws us to Jesus. And apart from his drawing, we cannot come to him. You're here this morning because God drew you. But having drawn you, you know what God's will is? Pursue Jesus. Not the things you might be tempted to pursue for your life. Pursue Jesus. That's the truth here. That is the truth in these passages. And receive the life that only Jesus can give you. Now, Jesus is going to go into hyperdrive to talk about his life. Look at verse 45. It is written in the prophets... And they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Oh my. (laughs) If you have heard and learned from the Father, you will pursue Jesus. That's what that means in verse 45. Verse 46. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. He's talking about himself. Verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. There's that promise again. Verse 48, he declares again who he is. I am the bread of life. 49, your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This, me, this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Do you believe that? 
Do you believe that? That's the life we're talking about that you receive. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give you for the life of the world is my flesh. Do you claim to believe in Jesus, dear one? Then pursue him. That is what this passage we've just read teaches us. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father will come to Jesus. So if you have heard and learned from the Father, then you will pursue Jesus. And if you don't pursue him, then you really have not heard from the Father. It is that simple. And Jesus restates this metaphor with an incredible picture that is shocking and offensive. Look at verse 52. The Jews then disputed among themselves. They are so mad that they're arguing amongst themselves. They've stopped arguing with Jesus. Now they're arguing amongst themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? You see that? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds, and that's a key word, circle that word in your Bibles, feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Does that bother you? It bothers me a bit. It's shocking. (laughs) And drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Fourth time he said he's going to raise us up on the last day. For my flesh, verse 55, is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. You won't live because you feed on the world. You will live because you feed on Christ. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Now let me say this. The metaphor that Jesus uses here is shocking to us and it was offensive to the Jews. The very law of the Jews forbade them to drink the blood of anything, much less a human being. But Jesus, he was not talking about literally drinking, eating his flesh or drinking his blood. He was using this metaphor to communicate the radical, sold-out nature of our pursuit of him. We see this clearly. We see this clearly in the parallel nature of verses 40 and 54. They're saying the same thing. And look in your notes. Verse 40. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. And look at verse 54. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Do you see that? It's parallel with 40. In 40 it says, the one who looks on the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life. In 54 it says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Just like 40 says, I will raise him up on the last day. So what Jesus is doing here is he's shocking them with a metaphor that is going to offend them and says, listen, you cannot snack on the world. Excuse me, you cannot snack on me and feast on the world. You must feast on me. You must eat my flesh. You must drink my blood so that your nourishment doesn't come from fill in the blank. But it comes from me. That's what he's saying. He's saying, believe me. You ask me, what does it mean to believe God? 
It doesn't mean casually accessing him when you have a small problem or a big problem. It doesn't mean going into the cupboard and getting a midnight snack. It means he is the main meal for you. Is he the main meal for you? Do you feast on Jesus? Or do you just snack on him and feast on the world? Is church just like a little hobby for you? But your real happiness is when you go home and get to and fill in the blank. Or when you go to work and have success. Or when you look at your bank account. Or or when you have that relationship that you've wanted all these years. the, The romance. Whatever. You fill in the blank for me. Where's your feast? Jesus or the world? Who can really satisfy you? And Jesus says, I'm the one that's going to raise you from the dead. I'm the one. Your money won't raise you from the dead. Your job won't raise you from the dead. That relationship, that romance you're looking for won't raise you from the dead. Only I will raise you from the dead. In your notes, the quote underneath John 6.44, to look on the Son and believe in Him means that we eat His flesh and drink His blood. It means that we feast on Him for life. And if we do this, we have the promise of eternal life and Christ will raise us up on the last day. So what are you feeding on these days? Oh, feed on Jesus. Feed on Jesus. Pursue Jesus and receive the life that only he can give. Let's bow our heads in prayer. I'd like to ask the worship team to please join me up front. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word this morning. Lord, I thank you for the joy that you and you alone bring. Lord, there's something in us that desires to receive and pursue and, and have life, true life, liberty, true liberty from the bondage of sin and happiness, true eternal happiness. Lord, I believe you put that in us as men and as women. You, you put a desire to have life and to have liberty and to have happiness. But, oh God, we're such idolaters. We're so rebellious. Lord, we often say, I'm going to find it my own way. God, thank you very much. I'm going to figure it out for myself. So we all come to you this morning and we say, Lord, forgive us, please. Lord, we want to pursue you by faith to receive your life. Just with every head bowed, I I just want to, I believe the Lord gave me just a picture that there are some of you who no longer have a taste for true life because you've had your head in the dumpster eating the garbage at the back of the restaurant, the cold leftovers. And all the while, Jesus is inviting you into the restaurant where there's a warm, freshly cooked meal that you can feast on. And you, have no, you no longer have a taste for that. You prefer cold, rancid, 
leftovers. God wants to renew your taste for the warm, life-giving feast of Jesus. And in a moment, we're going to stand and, and sing. I'd like to ask you to come down. I'd love to pray for you. I would like to include in that group those that would say, Al, I've been looking to this for life. It may not even be something that is quote-unquote sinful. It just could be something other than Jesus for the life that only He can give. So let me pray. and Just as we stand to sing, I invite you to come down. I'm going to probably need some help, so home group leaders with your wives, if you would come here, Corey and Cindy, if you'd come as well. So let's pray. Lord, I pray that for those of us that have lost our taste for you, we've spent so long eating from the world, that which can never satisfy, that we've lost our taste for the one who alone can give life. Lord, renew our taste buds. Some here, they've been dead to you all their life. Bring those taste buds to life. Lord, may they see that it is you. May they see you for who you really are and run to you and pursue you by faith. I know they can't come to you unless the Father draws them, but I know the Father draws because he drew me. So draw them. Lord, descend now by your Spirit. Touch our spirits that we may repent of our foolish pursuits, our feeding on the world, that we might feed on you, Jesus. Feast on you and receive life. In Jesus' name, amen.